Well, let's take the Word of God then and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we continue our study of the book of Romans, our text this morning will be verses 24 and 25. But as usual, we want to put these verses in context. So I want us to start back in verse 18, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Listen to the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me in prayer before we walk our way through our text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your word. We are so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us and that you have not left us guessing, but you have given us your word written down so that we can read it and understand it. We thank you again for the Holy Spirit that is given to us that he might help illuminate the truths of the, of the word of God that we might see it clearly and for what it is. 
And so again this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us through your word and that you would use your word in our hearts as you see fit, I pray in your name. Amen. If you were to look around our culture over the last 50 or 60 years, you would see a rapid decline in morality. You would see a culture that at one time held to at least outwardly Christian moral principles. In fact, even on television, married couples were portrayed in separate beds just so there was not a scandal because people recognized that the actors were not married. But that soon began to change. The sexual revolution of the 60s and the continual degradation as it has come through our time. And now we have a culture that is full out in the pursuit of sexual fulfillment. All taboos are being pushed off. Everything is being made okay. Now as a Christian, you might say, well, how is this happening? Why is this happening? And in fact, we might have this question in the back of our mind, and I want you to think about this. God's got to judge our nation. God's got to judge our nation. If we are this sexually bad, God must be have to judge our nation. But it might surprise you that the reason that our culture is already down this road in the sexual revolution is because God is already judging us. And in fact, he has already abandoned us. And actually, recognize this, that the moral degradation of our society does not bring God's judgment. It is the result of God's judgment. And Romans chapter 1 tells us it is because of our growing paganism and our rejection of the true God that this takes place. That God's judgment takes place on our nation. That God's judgment of abandonment, of God's wrath of abandonment is seen on our nation. God has abandoned in us, and it should be no surprise if you will trace back before the sexual revolution in the 1960s, what was introduced in our schools in the 1920s and started to be taught and took by the intellectuals of our culture was evolution. And now you are introducing a philosophy of life that takes away God's credit for creation. It's all natural, it just comes about. Look, in, look what Paul says in Romans, in chapter one. 
for in verse 20, for since the creation of his world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what? That which has been made, so that they are without excuse. You cannot introduce evolution into a society that denies the existence of God and takes his glory away from creation without actually denying the existence of God, and therefore you suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That brings God's wrath. Now, as we saw, Paul is beginning the, the, the body of this letter in verses 18 to 32. And he's leveling, really, uh, all this against unbelieving pagans. And he's saying they need the gospel. Why do they need the gospel? Because of God's wrath. They have rejected God. They are in idolatry. Three times through this paragraph, you'll see the idea of idolatry. And as a result, God's wrath is being revealed. It is presently being revealed against them, just like it is against our society and the individuals in our society who reject the knowledge they have of God. And so verses 18 to 23 really have told us why God's wrath is revealed, why God is angry. Because he's revealed himself and men have willfully rejected his law and his person. But now beginning in verse 24, Paul answers that second question is, how is God's wrath being revealed? And we will see that God's wrath is being revealed through his abandonment to sin. Specifically, as we look at verses 24 to 30, 32, it's easy to follow how Paul breaks this paragraph down. We simply have to say, look at this little phrase, God gave them over. In other words, Paul identifies three specific ways that God's wrath of abandonment is being revealed against unbelieving pagans, against those who refuse to believe that there is a God or acknowledge the God of the Bible in any way. Now you notice them in verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them over to what? Impurity. He gave them over to sexual sin. The second way God gives them over, he says in verses 26, for this reason, God gave them over to what? Degrading passions. Speaking of homosexuality. And then in verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God any longer. God gave them over to what? A depraved mind. Now remember, a depraved mind isn't just a, a mind that sins, all right? It's not a mind that just commits sins. It's a mind that what? Approves sin. And certainly we, we are see the, the evidence of that in our society today. Well, this morning, I just simply want to deal with verses 24 and 25. And I want to look at God's abandonment to sexual sin. Again, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now you'll notice this connector word, therefore. And Paul is making a logical tie to what's gone before. In other words, because of what's taken place before. The reason that God is going to now give them over is specifically because they, what they, when they knew God, they what? 
did not honor him or give thanks. They simply refused to give him the glory and to worship him as they should. Instead, they turned that knowledge into idolatry. They turned to false gods instead. And therefore, it says, God gave them over. And Paul just states, here he states the fact of God's wrath of abandonment here. He simply says, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, what, is God, what does Paul mean that God gave them over? What, what does that exactly mean? Well, the first thing we want to recognize here is whatever's taking place is God's wrath and as he's giving them over to this sin of sexuality is that it's not permanent, at least not for all of the pagans. You say, how do you know that? Well, if it was this way, no one would get saved. No pagan would actually get saved. In other words, the gospel, this is, remember, Paul is writing the book of Romans to give the gospel, and he says, this is why you need the gospel, because of God's wrath and because of idolatry, and so there would be no point in writing the, a book about the gospel if no one could be saved. In fact, we know Paul himself recognized that there would be those who would be saved. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. And he says in verse 9, Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunks, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that. He puts idolaters and, and fornicators and, and adulterers and all of those sexual sins in this, and then he says what? In verse 11, such were some of you. Such were some of you. In other words, Paul says, you once were in that category, but now you have been saved, right? You have been washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He set you apart from him, he justified you, he declared you righteous in the righteousness of Christ. If you remember when we went through the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's a little bit before Corinthians. Paul said the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. He says to the Thessalonians believers, they turn to God from idols to serve what? The living and true God. Paul says, I know people who literally were bowing down to real statues, classic, what we would say, classic idolatry. And he says they're saved. God saved them. So whatever this giving up, it doesn't have to be permanent because God can save and the gospel has, is the power of God to, for salvation. Now, this is something that we really want to get clear, and this is this, that God is not responsible for man's evil. It's not saying that God is making them disobey. 
All right? He's not, he's not the one who is forcing them, as it were, against their free will to sin. James says in James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself, what? Does not tempt anyone. God is not pushing people to evil as if, and, and, and tempting them and trying to make them sin. 1 Corinthians, 1 John 1.5, God is light and in him there is what? No darkness at all. No darkness, no, no darkness at all. So God doesn't actively produce evil in the hearts of these pagans. In fact, in anyone. So what does Paul mean when he says Paul gave them over? What does he actually mean? Well, this word for gave over, paradidomi, is, is an intensive word. Uh, and it means to turn someone over, to turn them over to something. If you look in Matthew, you can kind of see some of the ways that it is used. It is used in Matthew 4.12. Now, when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, and there's the idea of being thrown into punishment, he's thrown into judgment. Uh, And then he says, agree in Matthew 5.25, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge. And again, this is turning someone over to, ju- uh, to a judge for sentencing. In the first case, turn them over to prison. The second case, turn them over to judgment. If you see in Matthew ten seventeen, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils. Again, turning over for some kind of sentencing, turning you over to the judge. And so you will see this over and over. This is used of Judas Iscariot that said, what will you give me if I will what? Deliver Jesus unto you. And again, it means turning Jesus over to the Jewish authorities for punishment, for execution, etc. It says in Matthew 27, 2, when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate. And so it has the idea of turning someone over to a judge, turning them over to, to do a sentencing, turning them over to be imprisoned, turning them over for judgment. And so Paul means that God has handed these pagans or perhaps they put them in the prison of their own sin. Maybe in a, 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 in a more way, God withdraws his restraining grace and allows man to do what he wants along with the consequences of what he wants. For example, we read this morning, Psalm 81.12. God says, So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Paul says in Acts 14.16 of the nations, In the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. Douglas Moo writes, like a judge who hands a prisoner over to the punishment of his crime, God hands the sinner over to the terrible cycle of increasing sin. And so there's a sense in which God, on one hand, simply turns, turns back his back and turns away his restraint. He withdraws it. There's a sense of just letting that go. 
But God is also here, and I want you to be clear, is also acting positively. It's not just that he walks away, but in a real sense, he makes a judicial decision to, rem- to, to remove these restraints, and in a real sense, that's a positive, punitive act. He, he is making that decision to abandon. He's, he is positively inflicting men with his wrath because he knows the consequence. And so God is active in this as well as in the sense that he judicially decides that he will put people and give them to the consequences of their sin. I want you to notice, not only has God given them up, not only has he abandoned them to their sin and he he has put this judicial sentence to give them the consequences of their sin, but he has given them up to impurity. The abandonment is stated. Now the abandonment is described to impurity. The word literally means uncleanness. When it's used literally, it means something that is dirty, something that is filthy. But it is only used that way one way, one time in the New Testament. The rest of the occurrences of this word in the New Testament are figurative. A state of moral corruption, what is morally filthy, morally dirty. And it is used almost exclusively of sexual sin. So Paul says, I have given them over to what? Impurity. Now we want to be careful here because we don't want to, as Paul gives them over to sexual sin, we must recognize that Paul is not saying that sexuality and sexual relationships in and of themselves are dirty. He told us in, in Hebrews 13:4, marriage is to be, the marriage bed is to be held in what? Honor. It is undefiled. In other words, there is a proper place and a proper expression of sexuality. You read the Song of Solomon and you can see God's perspective on this area. It's good. It's to be celebrated within the bonds of marriage. But what Paul is saying here is that God abandons the unbelieving to what is sexually dirty. to what is not God's design for sexuality. Now, what does that look like? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul identifies several categories of sexual sin. And he forbids these things among Christians, but he gives us a scope on that. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes in verse 3, But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now you'll notice this. 
Paul describes, first of all, sexual sins of action, but immorality and impurity. Immorality is the Greek word pornea. It describes all illicit sexual intercourse outside of marriage. The second word, impurity, is a catch-all word. And the word in this context is used to describe every misuse of the gift of sexuality that is not included in the word pornea. It includes all kinds of sexual aberrations. With these two words, Paul forbids any sexual acts except the honorable, respectable enjoyment of sexual relations within the marriage. And so Paul's, Paul says there's sexual sins of action. He says, and then he continues on, that there are sexual sins of thought. The third word there is greed. In this context, the word this word is covet, literally covetousness. And that, in other words, it's coveting things. But in this context, it's, this, it's sexual sin. That's the sexual desire to have someone other than your spouse. It is sexual covetousness. That is a sin against God as well as the person. And so there is, there's the action. There's the greed of the thought. And then there's the sexual sins of speech in verse 4. First of all, he says filthiness. This is to speak in a way that intentionally evokes illicit sexual images. We are not to have a sexually dirty mouth, Paul says. Second, the sexual sin of speech is, is silky, silly talk. Now that may be misleading because you might just think it's kind of foolishness. But in reality, it refers to crude sexual humor, dirty jokes, humor that betrays a crass, vulgar mind. So it's far from just harmless, mindless, but it's, again, a depraved speech. And then he says coarse jesting. And again, this can be misleading. Uh, this is not, again, we, 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 when we hear coarse jesting, we, we, start, we kind of think, well, he must be telling dirty jokes. But that's not what's going on here. This word has the idea of a person who's smooth and intelligent and witty, who enjoys sexual things, but always without being obvious. This person uses sophisticated sexual innuendo and double endandra. He's always speaking. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want anybody to really know, but he's flirting on that edge. And Paul says that must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. But these are the sexual sins which God abandons the sinner. So it should be no surprise when we go into the world that we see these things taking place. And we will see the sin of speech everywhere. You go and you have conversations with unbelievers and they get in the group of their friends and it should be no surprise that we see silly talk coarse jesting. Now, Paul here wants to make sure that 
you don't think that God is trying, is, is putting these thoughts in someone's heart. He wants to make sure that you understand that God is not the promoter of evil. And so he adds this phrase, in the lusts of their heart. He has abandoned them to what? To impurity in the lusts of what? Their heart. This speaks of of will. It emphasizes their self-will. This is where people want to go. It's the lust in their heart. The lust here speaks of a strong desire, a craving. In fact, this word is used in, in the in the Septuagint, to translate the word covet. In fact, Paul expresses this directly in in Ephesians 4.17. This I say to you and affirm together with the word that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. Don't walk like them. Verse 19, and they became callous, having given themselves over, having given themselves over to sensuality. Sensuality refers to unrestrained, shameless pursuit of indulgence in sexuality. And they gave themselves over. They were what? Coveting, and therefore they desired, and they went after. So understand that while it's true that God abandons the the sinner in sexual sin, it is also because they have what? Abandoned it themselves to it. God is simply giving them the desires of their heart. You want sin? I'll give you sin. You want to sin in this area? I'll give you over to it. I'll give you your free will to choose sin. I will let you choose according to your what? Nature. And we recognize that when he speaks of heart here, he's, not, he's speaking of, of the inward man. This is where Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart are what? The issues of life. This is the inward man, the heart, according to Jeremiah 17.9, for the unbeliever, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. This is where, this is where these lusts come from. This comes up from the unredeemed flesh, the unredeemed man. In fact, Romans 3.10 says, what there's no right, none righteous, no, not one, right? Just in case you think you're the one, not one. There's none that understands, there's none that sees God. They have all gone their own way. They, are, they have become altogether sour, unprofitable. There's none that do, doth good. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they use deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing. Their feet is swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known, and there's no reverence for God in their eyes. So the whole world is guilty before God, for all have sinned. Man is vile at his base, and this is what comes out of his heart. Man is born into the world a sinner. And this is what percolates up from his heart. People have a revolting and rebellious heart, Jeremiah 5.23 says. Well, God has given them over. 
He gave them over to impurity. He gave them really what they desired. And here's the result. Here's the result of being abandoned. So that. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now this is one of the reasons why I would understand that impurity here, though it's a general term, is speaking of sexual sin, is because it talks right here in the context and well in verses, the next couple of verses, talking about sexual sin. And 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins what? Against his own body. And so he says, I have given, your, given them over what to dishonor their bodies among them. Dishonor is to deprive someone of respect, to shame them. That's an amazing statement. Contrary to our culture, God says to engage in sexual relationships either before or outside of marriage is to dishonor your own body. A body made in the image of God and it's to dishonor that body. In fact, we recognize that a believer has been called apart from that. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for what? Immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is is for the body. In other words, our, we have, as believers, we have been set apart from that. You'll notice this. They dishonor their bodies, what? Between them. This is where they do it. They do it with one another, among themselves. This is a sphere in which they operate. It's as if they help one another and use one another to get what they want. So Paul says, God has given them over to dishonor their body, to degrade their body. It is now mis being misused as God has called it to be. And oftentimes the consequences are seen in the body. Disease, sickness, even bodies that are ravaged because of guilt, because of their behavior. Paul says that they've given them over they are no longer using the body for what God has called them to be. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual sin, and you should know how to possess your body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of sensuality as the Gentiles or the heathen who do not know God. Implication, you have the spirit, you can control it. Implication, the unbeliever cannot control So Paul says he's given them, he's abandoned them, he's given them over, he's made a judicial sentence to give them over to the very things that they desire because they, they will not worship him as God. They will, and so his wrath is demonstrated as they dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then verse 25, Paul really restates the reason for this God's wrath of abandonment. He says in verse 25, for God gave them over 
or we could say for or because. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sounds familiar. Paul began verse 24 with the word therefore, linking God's abandonment to sexual sin of idolatry back in verse 23. But now to make sure we don't miss it, he repeats the very reason in verse 25. Notice how he puts it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Paul's point is, they exchanged what they knew about the true God, or we could even shorten and say they exchanged the true God literally for the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is that lie? The lie of idolatry. The lie of false gods. They had the truth of God that they had seen in creation and they exchanged it. They said, he's not the true God. They denied that he was the true God. They denied they needed to obey and honor and glorify him. And they took the lie that light Satan had been pushing since the garden and they believed that God is not God. God is not to be praised and glorified and honored and obeyed. And so they replaced that God. They exchanged the truth that they knew because anything we said before, anything that God has revealed to you is truth. And God revealed himself to them and they rejected it. It must be what? A lie. And we talked about rejecting reality because they reject what they know to be true and they replace it. And whatever you replace truth with has to be what? A lie. There's no other thing. There's no other answer. He goes on to say, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now, the words translated for worship and service are often synonyms. But when they appear together like this and and they describe both the internal reverence of the heart for the object of worship. In other words, this is the, the, the internal inclination and affections of the person and the external activities of religious service. In other words, there's the, there's the heartfelt worship as they worship this, and this is what they desire, and then they now what? Act in service to it. And so often people would bow down to, a, to an image because they, their reverence in their heart, because they thought this God would give them, them fertility or crops, And that external activity of worship and bringing sacrifice showed their heart. And so it is in sexuality. This is the desire of their object, the object of their worship. And then the the immorality is the expression or the active religious service. So Paul says the pagans, rather than serving and reverencing the creator served and worshiped the the created thing instead. So God, so idolatry is a reason that God abandons the pagan to sexual sin. Now this might help us to understand our culture. 
The headlong slide into sexual sin is not an accident. It's the result of what? According to Romans chapter 1, it's a result of what? Divine abandonment. We often think that the acts themselves will bring God's judgment. We have to recognize the fact that the acts are taking place is that God has already demonstrated his wrath of abandonment. The more our culture goes, slides away from the knowledge and respect of the true God, the more God abandons him to sexual sin. We see that, don't we? You walk down the street. You talk to people. We used to say, you know, we, we used to go out on the street and you say, do you love God? Do you, are you going to heaven or going to hell? Now people are like, what is that? What do you mean, God? I've never heard of this. Never heard of Jesus, right? Our society has continually gone away from the knowledge and the respect of the true God. This is the story of history. It's the story of our nation. It's the story of the individuals within the nation. Now, after all that bad news, <laughs> what does Paul do? He mentions what? The creator. He mentions the creator in verse 5. Rather than the creator. And it's as almost as if Paul snaps out of this. As if he, a, a true believer in God, a lover of God, a worshiper of God, who gives God glory, and what does he do? He cannot help but break out in praise. He says, who is blessed forever, amen. This word for, is, is the word blessed is where we get the word eulogy from. And he breaks out in a eulogy to God, an expression of goodness, a, a, a word of positiveness. He's getting a word from us. Paul says, blessed be him. God deserves a good word from us. Literally, he says, forever or in, into the ages. He says, let God be praised into all of the ages. That's the proper response. That was the response that God deserves. The, the response that God demands. Rather than suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, rather taking what is known about God and what? Giving him the honor and glory and praise that he deserves. And so we should praise God for his holiness and for his righteousness, even for his wrath and for the good news of the gospel and the fact that he's snatching some through the gospel of his son. So Paul just simply breaks out spontaneously in praise and so should we as we think of the greatness of our God. And so God, Paul connects again sexuality 
with idolatry. And he puts them together and he says, actually, you know what? Sexuality is what? Idolatry. Because you abandon yourself to it. Peter Bryan says, sexual lust is an idolatrous obsession. It places self-gratification or another person at the center of one's existence and thus is the worship of the creature rather than the creator. When people give themselves to idolatry, God gives them to sexual sin because sexual sin is what? A form of idolatry. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, if you're a believer, you must recognize, make it clear in your mind that sexual sin is morally wrong and a violation of God's clear commands. Make no mistake, God has set out his morality. Lust and sexual sin is wrong. God calls it what? Dirty and filthy, impurity. Number two, we could say this, sin degrades and dishonors your body. You're made in the image of God. How can you put your body with sin? I think the scripture speaks of that, does it not? Do not be unequally yoked. You must not tolerate any sexual lust or sin in your life. You must never be content until you have it out of your life. And it is a long, lifelong battle, but you must battle it. You must not give it any quarter in your life. As Paul said in Ephesians 5.3, you must, must not even be named among you. Here's the fourth response maybe that we can have to this, and that's this. Like Paul, praise God. If you're a believer here today, he's removed all sexual guilt from you. Everything that you have committed in the past, he has what? Forgiven. What you did before you were saved, forgiven. He will forgive if you repent and and ask for forgiveness for anything that you have done since. How can we not praise a God who has removed the guilt and the punishment that we deserve? If you're an unbeliever here today, recognize that you are right now under the wrath of God and he has abandoned you to your sin. You have legal guilt, personal guilt before God. As if Paul said in Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sins of disobedience. And don't think because you're getting away with it now 
And because you're rejecting him and you are living in, this, in sexual sin, that you're getting away with it. His wrath will ultimately be displayed when he returns. Recognize this. He did not spare his own son, but God delivered him over for all of us. And if he did not spare his son, he will not spare you. But the good news is, in not sparing his son, he has provided a way back to him. And if you will ask God to grant you repentance, to open your eyes, to reveal to you who he is, God will do that. God will do that. And so this morning I beg you, cry out for mercy. Cry out that God would grant you that repentance, that you too could go from a child of wrath to a child of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. And we thank you as we listen to your wrath of abandonment for sexual sin that you have given us the hope of the gospel. And that there's a righteousness from God that is revealed from faith to faith. And that we can be restored to you. And we thank you for us that who, who are now standing in that righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would praise you and grant you all the glory and honor that you deserve. And that we would do that by living pure lives for you and in your power. And if there be any here this morning that don't, that you would help them to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would reveal to them who you are, that they might have a righteousness that comes through faith. I pray this for the praise of your glory, of your grace. Amen.